We're continuing our study through the Old Testament. We're up to 1 Samuel chapter 24. David is still fleeing from King Saul in our passage again today. And in the last chapter, uh, David had a really close call. He almost got captured by Saul, but the Lord rescued him at the last minute by having Saul called away because of an attack by the Philistines at another location. And that uh, was amazing. That was a time when uh, David was trapped and there appeared to be no way to escape, and yet the Lord made a way. So that was cool to see. So that's an encouragement to us, you know, and we feel so trapped by our circumstances that it looks like there's no way out. We just need to trust the Lord and hang in there because the Lord always has the last word. So don't, don't let the world fool you. The Lord has the, the last word on things. Let's look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24, and we'll start at verse 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, and that's the, the way chapter 23 entity was called away, chasing the Philistines away from his territory and trying to protect his people, which was good to see he, he was doing that. But when he returned from following them, it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel, and he went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So it tells us here there were 3,000 chosen men from Israel. And I want you to, to see that these were extremely good soldiers that Saul had chosen. We were told something earlier in 1 Samuel, if you remember, about the men that Saul had in his army. If you want to look back for a minute to chapter 14 and verse 52, the very end of uh, chapter 14, And it says in uh, verse 52, now there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. So we know he was collecting the best guys he could find in his territory. Now, whether they were thrilled or not to be there, I don't know, because he took them. It didn't say he took he sent his recruiters out and said, hey, can you guys want to come? He just took them. And remember, the Lord had told Israel when this was the king they chose that he's going to keep taking and taking and taking from you. So he did that. But I wanted you to see that when he talks about these 3,000 chosen men from Israel back in 1 Samuel 24, these were hand-picked guys by King Saul. And you know that he was going to take the best of the best. So this even shows the respect and fear, I think, that King Saul had toward David. Because, you know, at this time, David had about 600 men, right? But here's Saul bringing out 3,000 of his best soldiers to try to capture David. So he wasn't taking any chances. You know, it's interesting. When God's got your back, like he did here for David, it doesn't matter how many of the best soldiers that your enemy brings because they just can't fight God on this one. You know, and we can be encouraged by this too because when our enemy tries to bring as many forces as he can against us, the Lord reminds us that greater is he than is in you than he that is in the world. You know, so uh, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. Uh, we are so safe in Christ. And that's a cool thing. So back in our passage in uh, 1 Samuel 24 down to verse 3, it said, So he came to the sheepfolds by the road, where there was a cave. So here is Saul, and he's come into this territory where he knows David is hiding somewhere. 
And it says he came to this place where there was a cave, but it mentions there just a small detail. They came to the sheepfolds by the road. Now this is kind of a big side note here, but I I don't want to pass up this observation. The Lord mentions these sheepfolds here. David was a shepherd, right? So when he came by these sheepfolds, I'm pretty sure he felt right at home. And he knew this whole area. This is some of the area he used to raise his dad's sheep and stuff. So he's very familiar with this. But I want us to see something really cool about these things. The sheepfolds were places that the shepherds would use to help protect their sheep at night. They'd have a sharp rock wall they'd put up around them, or they, if it was a cave, it probably already had a nice wall for them. And then the shepherd would be right at the entrance of the sheepfold, and he'd be on guard there for predators or for thieves who might try to steal the sheep. You know, and I've heard that the shepherds would even lay down in the doorway there, and they'd sleep right there so that no sheep could go out or no predator could try to come in without the shepherd knowing about it. Now, understanding that, take a look at John uh, chapter 10 in the New Testament for a minute. Like I said, I think this, this was too, uh, too good to pass up. It mentioned these sheepfolds. And this is something very familiar to the folks back then. That's why Jesus used it in uh, John 10 when he was talking about this. But in John chapter 10... And the New Testament gospel there, and down at verse 1, it says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold, there's that place, by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So Jesus was letting them know he's the good shepherd, and he comes in the right way. He doesn't sneak around and like a thief or a robber would. He's able to come through the door because he's the right one. He is the good shepherd. And uh, the false teachers here, I think, are described as those that would sneak around other ways and try to get in uh, instead of coming the right way. I'll go a little further in that passage of John, verse 7, because Jesus goes on to talk about this, being the good shepherd. In uh, verse 7, then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So there's that picture of him laying down in the door. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Uh, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So Jesus saves his sheep, and he makes sure that they are well taken care of. These are some beautiful pictures of Jesus here. Uh, Go on in in the same passage again. Look at verse 11 in John 10. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus, our shepherd, 
He loved us more than life itself. And he proved that when he died on the cross to save us, his sheep. So when you see these sheepfolds come up in the text, remember what a great shepherd we have who watches over us. Now we're going to see back in our passage in 1 Samuel 24 that the Lord is the good shepherd who is also watching over David. So it's just interesting that the Lord would mention that detail about the sheepfolds right there by the road where David was in hiding and David was about to have another close call but his good shepherd was watching over him there. So this is really a cool passage. So back in 1 Samuel 24, verse three, again it says, so he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave and Saul went in to attend to his needs, which meant he needed to go to the bathroom. That's a nice way of saying that in scriptures here. Uh, David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So David and his men had found a good hiding spot there. They were safely tucked away inside of this enormous cave, and there were many, many caves all around that area. So even if you knew that David was hiding in one of them, it would be like trying to find a needle in a haystack just to locate which one of the caves is he in. So what are the chances of King Saul having to go to the bathroom just as he was passing by the very cave where David and his men were in hiding? Yeah, so obviously the Lord was setting this up and he had a reason. You know, he's going to let us see an amazing thing about how sensitive David's heart was for the ways of the Lord. So very amazing that you mean the Lord can even determine when and where we might need to use the restroom Absolutely. So uh, next time you you have an opportunity, you might think, wow, Lord, did you set this up? Anyway, don't go there. Verse four goes on. Then the men of David said to him, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, as far as David's men are concerned, this is too good to be true. I mean, if you can picture this, these guys are already in the cave. Their eyes have already adjusted to the darkness in there. Saul's coming in from the daylight, so he's not able to see much of anything probably. He's definitely not looking for a bunch of guys in hiding here. He's got other things on his mind, so he's not even worried about that. So David's men are able to see him come in. He's coming in alone. No bodyguards, no weapons. I don't think he's got his spear at this point. So he's in there and he's very, very vulnerable. So David's men are are telling him, man, this is the day God told you about. Now, I'm not sure if the statement they made about the Lord revealing that to them is an actual thing that happened or these guys were really wishful thinking that God said this. I don't know. I don't think we've got that recorded anywhere, those exact words of this kind of prophecy that they're, they're relaying back to David. So as far as David's men are concerned, we need to do something about this. I mean, you're not going to get another opportunity like this one is, is what they're thinking. So Saul's completely alone, nobody to protect him, and David could have easily taken Saul's life and ended this manhunt that has been going on for some time against David. Now there's a good lesson for us here. When we're under a long trial, like David was here, 
We need to be careful about jumping the gun and doing something that's going to harm another just to get ourselves off the hook quicker. You know, David is an amazing example for us here because he doesn't seek to take advantage of the situation, but he seeks to honor the Lord. Man, there's a huge difference with that. You know, despite what everyone else would like to see him do, he wants to honor the Lord in his heart. And another thing we we see with David, too, here is that he's very careful about taking the advice of of others around him, even those who were closest to him at the time, you know. Sometimes the advice of others, uh, even those who might be very close to our situation, might not line up with the will of the Lord. So we have to be careful and prayerful when we go through difficult trials. And we see David's going to come out with a shining example as we watch what happens with him. Now, David's men, from their perspective, they just wanted this to be over, you know? So their ideas were to end this thing the quickest way possible. And we can understand that. We're practical people. We like things done quickly in our country, too. So we might say, hey, problem solved. Boom, let's let's do this. But they were missing the Lord's will on this one. You know, thankfully, David did not follow their advice. Uh, If you look at verse 5, now it happened afterward So David had cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and apparently Saul had set his robe to the side while he was in there, and David was able to get to it and not cause any kind of noise that would seem strange. He cut off just a corner of it, and it says it happened afterward that David's heart was troubled because he had cut Saul's robe. So it's interesting here that even this small act that he did affects David's heart so much. It shows us how sensitive he is to the heart of God. Now, this is the same guy that takes on giants when no one else will stand with him, okay? So David's not a wimpy guy. He's about as tough as they come. But he humbles his strength and his might under the direction of the Lord of hosts. And he felt that he had even gone too far in his actions of just cutting the corner of Saul's robe. You know, we should never be afraid of having too tender of a conscience for the Lord. I know people will ridicule at times for not doing things that they think need to be done. But if the Lord doesn't give you peace about something, it's perfectly fine to say, no, I'm not doing that. It's better to do that than to defile your conscience before the Lord. So we we get a very interesting picture of David here. And the Lord set this up intentionally so we could see this about David see what he's like and his, his uh, reactions with the Lord. So verse six goes on. David here talking, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David openly acknowledged that he had no right to do the things even that he just did. You know, even that small act, he saw it as coming against the Lord's anointed. And I like what somebody said, because Saul was God's anointed king, David saw him as God's problem to deal with, not David's. (laughs) I thought that was a really good way of looking at it, you know. So God is going to deal with Saul in his own time. And it was not up to David to do that. So you look at David's submission here to God's will. He referred to King Saul as his master, the Lord's anointed. Man, that's a tough place to get to. That's that's difficult. You know, we've we've had leaders in our country that 
that we've really maybe had a hard time with as Christians. But the Lord tells us in his word, he's the one who places leaders in their position. He's the one who lifts them up. He's the one who brings them down. And to realize God put the person there, whether we like him or not, you know, to be very careful in the way we treat that person because this is part of God's plan and what he's doing. Saul is not walking with the Lord at this point. But yet God has placed him where he was. He anointed him for the position. So David is respecting that about what God has done in Saul's life. Very amazing picture here. Very humbling as you think that one through. So in verse 7 it goes on. So David restrained his servants with these words when he said, I cannot come against the Lord's anointed. So he restrained his servants with those words. He did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. So David really meant what he said when he said, I'm not going to come against the Lord's anointed because he wouldn't even allow any of his men to go after Saul. I mean, David's guys are pretty sharp. They're good warriors. They're, they're, they're like the special forces guys that he's been training along the way. So they know how to handle themselves. And one guy who's unarmed is no problem for these guys. So it would have been easy for for David to say, well, I can't touch Saul because to me he's anointed. You know, but if any of you see differently and get carried away and kill Saul, well, that's up to you all, you know. And he could have just kind of stepped aside, but he didn't do that. David wouldn't allow anyone under his authority to go after Saul. So great leaders make very difficult decisions, but they always choose honoring the Lord above all else. That's if they're a truly great leader in the eyes of the Lord. So David saw it as more important to honor the Lord in this than to do what would have been easier for him and his men and take the quick way out. You know, Jesus displayed the same principle when the devil offered him a quick way out. You remember, you know, he told Jesus he'd give him all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would just bow down and worship him. But Jesus chose to go to the cross rather than taking the quick way out. And the devil tempts us in the same way too. You know, he'll tell us to take the quick way out because it could be an easier way to go. Probably is easier. But when the temptation comes, we need to choose to do things God's way and honor him. That's always the best way to go. Always. Verse 7 goes on. It says, So David restrained his servants with these words, and he didn't allow them to rise against Saul. And it says, and Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. So Saul was totally unaware of these things that were going on. He had no idea how close he was to being killed. You know, I'm sure he would have been killed had David not restrained his men because they're kind of urging David to take care of this. And if you don't want to, we certainly will. So verse 8 goes on. David also arose afterward and he went out of the cave and he called out to Saul saying, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and he bowed down. Now apparently, David gave Saul a little time to get some distance from the cave door. It says David went out afterward and he had to call after Saul. So I think he did leave some distance there just for maybe a little safety in case he needed to to, uh, escape or something. And it doesn't tell us any amount of distance, so there some commentators you look at it have different ideas. But I think from the wording, I see there was a little bit of space there. 
But then David, as, uh, as Saul turns to look at him, David stoops down and he bows down, showing respect to the king, to King Saul. And it's interesting that David's actions matched his words, you know? He called him Saul, uh, God's anointed, and now he shows that he respects him as God's anointed. So he referred to Saul as his Lord, meaning his master, and then he bowed as a servant would before his master. It's very important that our actions match our words. Otherwise, it just shows we're a hypocrite and we don't do what we say we believe. Verse 9 goes on. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Now, whether there really were men in Saul's court who were lying to Saul about David, because David didn't want to hurt a hair on Saul's head, or whether David was simply being polite, you know, by pointing to someone else rather than accusing Saul outright of coming up with this on his own, I'm not sure. But David is letting Saul know that this isn't true, that David wants to hurt Saul. So wherever this is coming from, whether you're hearing it from somebody in your court or the implication is if you're coming up with it in your own mind, it is not true. And he's also implying that these are not the words of God because he says here, you know, these are words of men. So I don't know what men are telling you this, but it's kind of like, I know you're not hearing this from the Lord. So in other words, he's saying, don't pay attention to what you're hearing. And uh, that's good advice for us. When we hear stuff that's from the enemy, it's not true. Don't even pay attention to it. So verse 10 goes on. David's still talking to the king here. Look, he says, this day, Your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you. Says somebody. We wonder how many somebody's were there. There's 600 guys saying, do it, do it, David, go. (laughs) So he says, somebody urged me to kill you. But he said, my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, meaning my master, for he is the Lord's anointed. So David was saying, you're an eyewitness to what I'm telling you right now. The Lord gave me an opportunity. He dropped you right in my lap. He gave me the opportunity to take your life just a minute ago. And you wouldn't even have seen me coming. And he wouldn't have, you know. And he also says, I've had these guys, they're whispering in my ear saying, do it. But I chose to spare you. And here's why, he said. You are the Lord's anointed. And you were, you were my Lord, you're my master. And I refused to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. So David was a man of integrity. You know, he's letting him know, I'm not up to anything. <laughs> I'm your servant. You're my master. <coughs> Excuse me, More, verse 11. Moreover, he says, my father, is a term he uses now for Saul. He says, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. You know, so he's holding this, this piece of the robe up to show him, and I don't know, I'm just trying to picture this, maybe you are too. I wonder if he held that piece of robe up like he held up Goliath's head, you know, I don't know. I'm just wondering. Because think about it, David can kill a giant, and he has no problem with a single guy, right? I don't know. Anyway, so he holds this robe up, and he says, uh, I cut off the corner of your robe, and I did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. So David goes on to call Saul his father. And and you think about it, David was married to Saul's daughter, 
right? So Saul was his father-in-law. That's, there's nothing wrong the way he said that. Then David goes on to show the evidence of Saul's robe that he had in his hand. That would prove that David was telling the truth. You know, he was close enough to take Saul's life if he wanted to. He was able to reach the robe without Saul even knowing about it. So David explains here that he isn't some evil, rebellious guy who's trying to hurt Saul. And those may have been some of the accusations people were making against David, you know. Or maybe they were just things Saul was coming up with in his own mind. But either way, David was saying he didn't do anything wrong against Saul at all. And then David boldly speaks the truth, and he says that even, Saul, even though David didn't, hasn't meant any harm to Saul at all, that Saul was unjustly trying to kill David. And I tell you, I'm amazed uh, with David's ability here. He's very humble in what he's speaking, but he's still speaking the truth, and that's pretty amazing, because uh, that could get him in, in serious trouble too. Uh, verse 12 goes on. <clears throat> David says, let the Lord judge between you and me. And let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. So David turns it over to the Lord to make the final decision. He left vengeance up to the Lord. And that's the wisest thing to do. You know, the Lord knows exactly what's needed to be just in bringing vengeance against a person. You know, we might do too much in retaliation. That's normally our way of doing things. But the Lord's justice is perfect when he comes against somebody. Not too much, not too little. It's very measured, it's very exact. It's what they deserve. You know, the Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So God promised in that statement that he will repay. So he will deal with things in his own time. So don't worry. Nobody's getting away with anything. God will make them pay in due time. And David knew this. So that's why he easily turns over to the Lord. It's like, the Lord's going to take care of that. Now, later on, David's going to have to be taught that again, be reminded again, I should say. But uh, right now, he's at a good place with that. So verse 13, he says this. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. I mean, that's a normal thing. But my hand shall not be against you. So David's saying, you can know I'm not wicked in this matter because I haven't done one wicked thing against you at all. It's kind of like, you know, with Jesus. It's like, what evidence could you bring against David? Nothing. You can't bring anything against Jesus either, right? He didn't do anything. So verse 14, he says, After whom has the king of Israel come out? Why do you, whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? So David's saying, why are you wasting your time and the effort of, of all your soldiers here coming after me because I'm not worth the effort, you know? It's like trying to come after a dog that's already dead. Why would you bother? And not going to harm you, you know, it's, it's not a threat to you, it's a dead dog. And he mentions a, thie, a flea too that's so insignificant, you know, it can't really do any harm, not one flea. So it's amazing here the way David humbles himself and says this about himself, you know? Here's the giant slayer. He says, I'm, to you, I'm just kind of a dead dog. I'm a flea. I'm not going to harm you at all. So, you know, why are you coming after me? He could have said, <laughs> you think about this, our American pride, right? He could have said, hey, man, you're messing with the next king of Israel. <laughs> and I've been annoyed by God too. So what's your problem? You know, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't go there at all. You know, David stays humble here. And as a result, he finds God's grace. What does the Lord say? He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. 
Verse 15, therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So David outright says this prayer out loud. <laughs> let the Lord deal with this and let the Lord rescue me from your hand because his, his army's there, his, his 3,000 men are ready to go so he could be in trouble. <coughs> Excuse me. So David turns over the entire case he has just made in pleading his innocence to the greatest judge of all, the Lord. And that's the wisest thing that any of us can do. That means that David was leaving it in God's hands to deal with in his own time. And that's the hardest thing for us too, I think, because in a situation like this, we wish that God would take care of things a lot quicker, you know. But just remember, God is thorough. When he takes care of something, it's done right and it's done completely. So these are things that we just have to trust with the Lord. He knows infinitely better than we do how to handle every situation that we will ever face in life. Verse 16 goes on. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, man, put your seatbelt on for these words because this is amazing. Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Wow. This is amazing that David got through to Saul. When you're dealing with someone who is filled with hatred against you and they're on the edge of insanity because of it, this is truly a miracle when you can get through like this. The Lord must have brought conviction on Saul's heart by these words of truth that David just spoke. And by the way, that's what brings God's conviction and change in a person's heart it's speaking the truth to them. It's not being politically correct. It's not flattery they need to hear. They need to hear the truth. That's what can bring change, you know? Why do you think the devil's trying to get us away from telling sinners the truth? He doesn't want them to repent and change. Isn't that interesting? In our society, there's a very big push to be politically correct, which means don't say the truth. Yeah, who do you think doesn't want that? The devil. Because <laughs> if we keep preaching the gospel and preaching about sin and salvation and the hope in Christ, people are gonna be convicted and people will be saved. Isn't that amazing? So the devil's against that one. Verse 17 goes on. Then he said to David, here he is, he's been weeping now because of David's open heart he just saw. He said, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. Wow, again. <laughs> These are words of repentance. An hour earlier, Saul would have been breathing out murderous threats against David, right? And now he is saying, you're righteous, I'm the sinner. You did me good, I did you harm, I did evil to you. What an amazing thing that took place right there. We love to see people come to repentance over the truth that brings that conviction in their life. So cool to watch. So verse 18, and you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. I've seen it. You know, David said, you've seen it with your eyes. He's like, I have. He says, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? So he's logically thought this through. God's helped him with that. It's like, David must not be my enemy because you don't let your enemy escape. You take him out when you get a chance. And David let me escape. So 
he must not be against me. His logic actually worked for him there. Therefore, he says, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. So he's even asking God to bless David. Wow, what a change, what a change. So Saul got it. He realized that David was telling the truth and he really didn't mean any harm at all to Saul. Even though he would have had a perfect opportunity to do so, you know, that's really what was in David's heart to do. He had a chance there. And Saul even asked the Lord if he would bless David, you know, for how he spared Saul's life. It just, what an amazing thing to see. Uh, we, we love to see it when things look like true repentance. We'll see something different here, but it looks good at this point, right? Uh, verse 20, and now I know indeed that you shall surely be king. Wow. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. <laughs> you never thought you would hear those words from King Saul's mouth. <laughs> But this lets us know that Saul was aware that God had, been, had chosen David to be the next king of Israel. And with that acknowledgement, think about that, Saul should have been scared in thinking that he was just hunting down and seeking to kill the next king of Israel. You would think that might bring a little fear in his life, huh? But power goes to the head, so we don't see him back off on that one. Verse 21, therefore, he says, swear now to me, this is King Saul speaking to David, Swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So at that time, it'd be, uh, it wouldn't be unheard of for a new king when he takes over to completely wipe out the former king's family line. It would seemingly prevent any future relatives from being a threat that might want to come after the throne later on. And Israel had probably seen this a number of times by the pagan kings that were around them you know, this is the first king of Israel, so they haven't gone through that stage yet. But after seeing it happen over and over again, they're probably thinking this is normal. So he's trying to prevent that. So Saul wants his family spared. He wants his family line to go on. And he also wants his own name to live on. If you notice there, that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. Of course, he wants his name to go on. <laughs> he's got that pride going here. Verse 22, so David swore to Saul and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. So David didn't return with Saul. He apparently thought it's wise to keep some distance between them in case Saul had another change of heart and wanted to kill David. Yeah, you get to know a guy, a crazy guy that likes to carry a spear is not one you want to trust too far. So it's understandable. You know, Saul was the guy that tried to kill his own son a couple of times that we know of, right? The scriptures tell us. So a little bit on the unstable side. You know, unfortunately, we know that down the road, Saul will come after David again. So it lets us know that Saul's apparent repentance here was not real. You know, he was sorry for mistreating David. He realized David was right, but when he gets an urge later on to go after David, he does. So he didn't really have a change of heart. He was just a temporary emotional reaction that caused him to back off for a while. So I'm sure David was thankful for the reprieve. We're just going to look at verse 1 of uh, chapter 25 because it's kind of a transitional verse here. and That's a really important one in this, in this story. It says in verse, chapter 25, verse 1, Then Samuel died, so that's Samuel the prophet, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So David is still uh, in, in hiding just in case Saul changes his mind. 
But it tells us about Samuel here. Not a lot said, but enough said about him. You know, his earthly ministry now had come to an end. And when he died, there was a time period in Israel's history that also came to an end. It was the time of the judges. So Samuel was the transitional character. He brought Israel from the time of judges into the time of having their own kings rule over them. So he played a very significant role in Israel's history. If you remember when his mother gave him back to the Lord as a very young child, I don't think she had any idea how far-reaching his future ministry would go. And you and I may have given our kids to the Lord for his service, and we have no idea how many lives they may touch. But we hope that they always stay obedient to be servants of the Lord. Samuel lived his entire life for the Lord, and he finished well. That's hard to do. You know, you've got a lot against you in this world with the devil, your own flesh trying to work against you. And look how Israel reacted here to Samuel's death. The word lamented that it uses, it means they had a deep, deep mourning for his, his, over his death. So they appreciated this man of God and what he meant to their own lives and the lives of their parents too, and as his ministry went on to them. And I'm sure, you know, in the Proverbs 10, it says this, the memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. And Samuel, his name is very blessed. You think about Samuel's testimony. He was born to some godly parents, He started to serve the Lord at a very young age. Then he went through that training period of learning what not to do as he witnessed the wickedness and hypocrisy of Eli's sons in their tabernacle ministry, was supposed to be their ministry. Then he saw the rejection of God by Israel as their king, how they wanted to demand a human king instead of God. Samuel remained faithful to the Lord through all of that. Then he had to go through this time where he saw the evil actions of King Saul But thankfully, the Lord did let Samuel see the Lord was bringing a much better man down the road as the king of Israel, David. Samuel didn't get to witness the actual reign of David as king, but he did get a chance to administer to him and to anoint him as the future king of Israel. So the Lord let him see some light, you know, coming in the future. Samuel, you think about him, he's a a real encouragement to us in that he, he shows us that it's possible to continue walking with the Lord no matter what's going on around you. Your nation can reject God. Even religious people can mess up pretty badly. But you can consistently walk with God your entire life and not allow the things around you to stop you or even slow you down from walking with the Lord. I think this applies to young people even more so in that they have an opportunity to start walking with the Lord maybe earlier than some of us have done and they can dedicate their whole life to serving the Lord. What a blessing. And then hopefully at the end of their days, they can have a testimony like Samuel's, that they serve God their entire life. What a great gift to give to the Lord at the end of your days, and what a powerful testimony to leave to this world, that you can walk with the Lord no matter what's going on around you. You know, so... I believe the Lord would encourage us to pass on the testimony of Samuel to all the young people that we know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word of truth. I thank you for the lessons you show us through our passage today. Lord, I pray you give us the boldness to speak the truth in love. And I pray, Lord, we would get to see your conviction from the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives, not to condemn them, Lord, but to bring them to yourself. And Lord, we just want to give you the praise and glory for that too. Father, I thank you for the testimony of Samuel. I pray, Lord, 
for the young people in our church that they would have an opportunity to give their lives to you very quickly at a young age, that they could walk with you all the days of their life, and that they could come to the end of their days after being steady with you, Lord, and say, I have lived for the Lord all my life. Father, we thank you for the opportunities you give us to serve you. I pray you continue to give us a heart of service. Please don't let us be deceived by our enemy or by this world or by our flesh. Let us stay right on track with you, stay close to your word, and, and be open to the filling of your spirit at all times. Lord, if someone is here today doesn't know Christ, I pray you draw their heart to you and let them know their need for a savior. And Lord, we give all praise, honor, and glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen.